You're listening to Bethany Radio. Our content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBattleLeroy.com. Before we get to our text this morning and what we're going to be looking at, I want to uh, look at two things. First is one of the picture that came in from last week. This is from Micah, and uh, I had to ask Micah, I said, Micah, help me understand some of this this morning. He was, he was gracious to me. He helped me. So on the left side, you've got a car going down there. There's a lot of things going on, but I from what I understand, and these buildings are the poor people. He's got the houses of the poor people, and I think last week... We were talking some about the deacons and serving maybe the poor, something along those lines. And so Micah's got some, some, some of the poor there. Uh, of course, there is a, is that a cat or a dog? It's a cat, right? It's a dog. Okay. So yeah, the dog is down the right corner. So thank you, Micah. Um, those of you also adults, you're not excluded. You can, if you take notes by picture, that's fine. Uh, and, uh, turn them in. You can be anonymous and we'll, uh, We'll put them up there, but I appreciate our kiddos being part of part of our time together. Uh, secondly, before we get to our text, we have the we're going through the the proposed constitution to be voted in at at the end of uh, January here, coming up just next year, and uh, just in what two months away. And so we've got a box of comments, suggestions, questions, that sort of thing. And I want to honor. Some of those questions have been posted in there and posted. Maybe some of you are asking some of the same things. And so I want to address some of those. So hopefully as we go through and we have a couple weeks left here in the series, um, as you put things in or question that that at least some of them we can get to and at least share here. So I'm not sharing names. If you turn, don't be scared. I'm not going to give your name, but it's helpful to think through. So I'm just going to take three of them today. Here's one of them. This was a question that came in. What is wrong with the old statement of faith? That was a question. What's wrong with the old statement of faith? I think what might be meant in this question as we're going through our constitution is maybe what's wrong with the old constitution? We we are not changing the statement of faith of the church. Uh, it was passed in April of 2012. Other than we are desiring to add in a, a bit on uh, marriage and also Life issues, basically abortion, that uh, those sorts of things. So we are changing in a sense of adding those on. Maybe more so, the question is why? Why change the old constitution? Um, and what we're proposing to change is those dated from February 2006. There's one copy left in the back. If you want to see what we're currently operating kind of under, uh, you can look at that and see where we're coming from. Let me just give at least two, I think there's more, but at least two reasons for the change. Some of these I'll try to be not very long-winded, but brief with. One is the need, just as we talked about last week, for better defined officers, offices of the church, in terms of elder and uh, deacon. The terminology, I think, of the proposed constitution, I think it incorporates better the, the biblical office of elder and deacon what their tasks are, gives the scripture, here's qualifications for them, and even their accountability to us as a church and how charges are to be brought. So I think it, it broadens our understanding of those offices, those biblical offices. One other would be obviously the, the major difference uh, 
in incorporating this new proposed constitution is introducing formal and, and meaningful, I want to use both words, meaningful membership as part of the DNA of our church. I will say God in His grace, He's watched over Bethany for, um, it's coming up, I think 2018 will be 60 years if my math is, is right. But the elders were recommending taking this step of membership just to better define who we are and what it means to be part of the local church. That is that we're in a covenant relationship with one another. We're not just a group of, of interested individuals who happen to show up here, but we desire to covenant and build one another up in the faith. Another reason would be, again, we've talked about some of these, the sake of order in the church, so that when we come together and we vote on something as a church, that we know that who makes up the church? Those believers in Christ. Again, all are welcome to come sit. There's no sign at the door, members only. That's not our goal. But, but that when we're voting, we're voting as believers in, in Christ and ensuring that. And also just membership protecting the church so that we remain faithful to the Word of God in the long run, for generations to come. So in a most basic sense, we're proposing here with this is changing from the old, how we as believers will really out, really live out the biblical com- commands of being members one to another and what that looks like. Okay, another question. Uh, these are good. And I kind of combine these. Maybe they're, they're similar. I'm going to take them both. Will membership change the hearts of people? Or maybe similar Will membership stir Christians to become hot in love with Jesus or, or cause more lukewarm ones? I think as with any policy, there is a potential for this constitution to gather dust on a shelf somewhere. That's, that can be reality. But may that not be the reality for our church. Um, I would agree. I would answer membership doesn't change the heart. We know Jesus does by His Spirit. But I'd say this, I'd say membership is a tool. I think it's helpful to think of it in that language. It's a tool used by God to change hearts. Uh, For members, again, we've talked about this, to come alongside, encourage one another. And uh, if need be, and maybe for even the purpose of restoring a wayward brother or sister, we come and we discipline one another for the sake of restoring that one to walking with the Lord. In one sense, it's kind of like the ring that I wear on my finger, a ring that many of you wear of marriage. It's a symbol. It's a tool. It's, uh, it's an act of saying, membership-wise, I'm committed to the church at Bethany. And Bethany saying, we receive you as a member. That we're held accountable for our lives in Christ. So, I guess I would answer, rather than making us uh, lukewarm, I think membership, it has the potential, when done well, And it can be done poorly, but when done well, it has the potential uh, to be part of God's plan to really build up people who are hot in love with Jesus. We don't want to be lukewarm believers. And may we stir one another up towards that. Okay, one more. I can get the next one here. Good question. Will membership break down the walls people have put up? Or does it cause more division? has the potential to do both, I might answer. Hopefully we understand membership as inviting members to hold each other accountable for their profession of faith. So, 
should a wall be up, membership is the call to go climb that wall and look over it and say, how are you, dear brother, sister, doing? So rather than building a wall, hopefully it's, it's engaging us to climb walls into the lives of others. Not, to be, not for the sake of nosiness, but for the sake of restoration, encouraging. We all need to be built up in the Lord. Uh, as far as division goes, certainly there's potential to divide terms of those that are members, those that are not. Again, our, our desire is not that membership gets you in the door, that we put a sign on the door, members only. Again, all are welcome to come, worship, hear the gospel, be encouraged, no matter what membership status there is. But at the same time, we want to challenge all believers to covenant, to commit to the body in a meaningful way. Submitting to one another, submitting to the leadership that is there to, to hold you accountable. It's there for your good, to watch over your souls. We talked about watching the flock last week. For us as members to say, I want this place, I want these people in my life. It's almost an invitation. I want to be a member and I'm saying, come and speak into my life for my growth in the gospel and in the Lord. So thank you for your questions. Maybe more will come and we'll share those as we as we go. You can put them in the box in the back. We'll be up front afterwards as well if you'd like to speak more on that. OK, those are good, good to think through. Uh, so let us turn here today. We're getting towards Article 10. That's where we're at. But let me let's turn to the, the book of Luke, chapter six is where we're going we're gonna to anchor at least a little bit, and then we'll be going uh, quite a number of places as well. So we'll warm up on our, for those in uh, Sunday school, sword drills and looking through. I won't give you a sword drill from up here, but we're going to Luke uh, chapter 6, verse 27 through 36. I'll be reading that, and then I'm going to read Article uh, 10 as well from our Constitution. But first, let's hear God's Word speak into our lives. It's Luke six twenty-seven. Through 36. Jesus says here, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. I think as we read Article 10, we're going to see the connection here. There are a few copies in the back. Let me just read it for us and then I want to pray. Article 10, it's on page 11 in this proposed constitution. 
And it's titled Dispute Resolution. Short section, big implications for us as a body. It says, because the Bible commands Christians to make every effort to live at peace and to resolve disputes with each other in private or within the believing church, give some references there, the church requires its members to resolve conflict among themselves according to biblically-based principles without reliance on the secular courts. That's what our Constitution, proposed anyway, says in our Article 10. Let me pray for our time together. Lord, we just ask that again You would work in this time as we think about disputes, conflicts. They are far too common in our very own lives. Can be in our church, other churches, places, because where sinners dwell, there's conflict. And yet, Lord, you've given us tools. You've given us, you've empowered us through your gospel for life change, that these would not be uh, things we, uh, we look at with disdain or we don't like, but we welcome them. So guide us in our time to understand conflicts and, and making peace, to understand it well. And to glean from your word, Lord, what you would have. So we ask your Holy Spirit to illuminate, guide our reading in this time together. Challenge us, Lord, to leave here, not not living the same, but being challenged to, to handle conflict in a way that glorifies you. And I pray that you would help us in that, Lord. In our time together, in Jesus' name, amen. I find the timing of this sermon pretty interesting because of the week that, and the celebrations that we just had at Thanksgiving. Um, perhaps your Thanksgiving holiday with your family was super streamlined, sweet, no conflict abounded at all. But sometimes that's not the case. Maybe conflict arose as you passed the stuffing or you played a football game and the rules weren't followed or some, some sort of conflict or some uncle said this or an aunt or a grandpa or a cousin or all these sorts of things conflicts just arise. So it's an interesting week to, to discuss this as we come back from Thanksgiving. Uh, maybe not even it happened while Thanksgiving, but maybe even in the drive while you're coming to church this morning. Or right now, some of you are just in the midst of a conflict. And that to do with Thanksgiving. It's just a conflict going on. And we're wondering how to deal with these things. Some of you, sorry to say, if you're not in a conflict right now, you're on your way towards one. Uh, it's encouraging, isn't it? We should pray and just be done. But uh, we who read our Bibles, though, I hope that's all of us here. We ought to be the least shocked when we see a world of conflict around us. Um, I've put some of these because there's so many and, and to kind of keep track um, some of these verses up on the, the PowerPoint today. James talks about this. You can read it up there. Uh, in chapter 4, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He says, You adulterous people. So at the heart of conflict is, in fact, the heart, our heart. Without a gracious work of God 
in the heart, all of mankind will only and always will seek our own way, our own desires, and not those of God. You might remember now probably months ago, we looked at Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. It says this from the heart. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. The battle here in dispute, as we're talking about in Article 10, and in conflict is really a heart-level battle. And it rages on even for believers. The passage I read from James is speaking to believers. Believers who had quarrels and fights among themselves. Their passions were at war within them. So we, we must realize the battle in the soul and how far, really each one of us, how far we are from holiness. So that we uh, can deal with conflict in a meaningful way. I want to share one quote uh, from Charles Spurgeon in regards to this. And I love this quote. If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him. For you are worse than he thinks you to be. <laughs> I love that. Somebody thinks poorly of you, you say, oh, oh, don't, no, I'm, I'm actually worse off than you think I am. It's a great way to approach it. I think biblically, okay, in Christ, we're growing in holiness. He's changing us. But w- when we realize and say, I'm as, and agree with Paul, I'm the worst of sinners. We don't stay there. We need Christ. But it's to realize that and that will help us in conflict. And so it is while God is working in us, he's shaping us, he's molding us. We're in a battle of our passions and desires in conflict. And they rage against this new nature we have in Christ. We're desiring His will and His glory. You know, we talked about, I um, can't remember if it was last week, I think the week before, you know, singing songs of praise, blessing God, give thanks with a grateful heart, all our hearts. And yet James, remember in there, he says we use that same tongue, that same instrument to curse those made in the likeness of God. And he says, my brothers and sisters, these things ought not be so. So Article 10 on dispute resolution, it's, it's calling us as believers to make every effort to live at peace and to resolve disputes among us privately first. And if not, then there's further steps that can be taken. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, it's some of the texts that are given there, at least in the Constitution, he urges the believers to handle disputes within the body of Christ. Don't rely on non-believers, the unrighteous, but bring them before the saints Matthew 18, Jesus teaches as well how to deal with conflict. Somebody sinned against you, go to him. That doesn't produce uh, harmony, peace. Take somebody, take a witness with you. If not, take more, bring him to the church. That sort of idea. He's given us direction. In other words, there's a process established for the church by which to handle conflict. But when we go outside of God's revealed word, We go outside the means by which he's provided to resolve disputes and conflict. Next week, we're going to get into the process of church discipline in Article 11. This week, I'm just looking at really the conflicts and disputes with kind of an eye towards those that are more personal in nature. Personally, how do we biblically handle the 
conflicts that arise amongst us as believers here in the local body in the church, among the families we're with, among co-workers, all these different places, really any place where we walk, conflicts arise. For some, this is going to be some review we taught probably now almost two years ago on conflict um, on a Sunday school class. You're going to hear this. This is one of those sermons uh, I wouldn't mind preaching again almost yearly because we need these reminders. And we especially need them ingrained because when we're in the middle of a conflict and the adrenaline's going and the, the emotions are there, we need to remember, what. okay, what do we do? Hopefully some of what we're covering is part of that preparation or helpful. In your bulletin, you have a little uh, brochure pamphlet called Peacemaking Principles. Maybe for some of you, this is the second one. Harrison, if you don't have one and didn't get a bulletin, you want to just put your hand up. Harrison's going to help get them out. I want you to have a copy. Just raise them up high so he can see where to go. One back there, one over there. Okay. If you take those out um, and look at those, we're just going to be on just basically this middle page. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. We'd be here. Uh, I guess the Vikings already played, right? And the Packers are tonight, so we're fine. We can go as long as we need to. Uh, Harrison's going to hand those out. we got one more. Okay. We're on kind of this middle section. Up top it says the Peacemaker's Pledge. That's where we're at. We're going to just look through this as kind of our kind of a guide as we think through conflict. And this section is just going to give us a broad look at this topic. Again, you can go deeper. There's books written on this. One book called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. A smaller, thinner one I have a few copies of. If you, if you say, I want more. This is helpful, but I want to know more. Uh, talk to me. Let me know. And uh, again, none of us love conflict. This isn't about joy and conflict. But I, I appreciate so much the, the approach and the attitude towards conflict that is brought out here. I think it's biblical. It helps us just think through in a biblical way how we do that. So we're looking at really how do we respond to conflict. And I want to read a little bit. I'm going to read parts of this paragraph right under where it says a commitment to biblical conflict resolution. I'll just read a little bit. It says as people reconciled to God by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we believe that we are called to respond to conflict in a way that is remarkably different from the way the world deals with conflict. Do you catch that phrasing in there? The way that those in Christ respond in a conflict is to be remarkably different from the world. Why is it to be different? It's because we who understand our status as enemies of God without Christ, deserving of His wrath, we understand His mercy in Christ, and we need this. As we were in that passage in Luke 6, the, the very last verse. It says, be merciful. Why? Even as your Father is merciful. We've, we've had mercy upon mercy. And that's where, again, getting back to the heart, understanding our, we're worse off than you think I am, understanding that gives us compassion in order to, to understand it. And, and we understand how much we need the Gospel and His, God's mercy in our lives. So the gospel changes everything, beginning with God's mercy to make alive in our heart what was dead. 
Uh, we won't go through it, but in your bulletin as well, I've just given you kind of a half sheet on what is the gospel. Again, looking at God's holiness and our, our sin and our need for a Savior and our Savior's blood that was substituted in our place on the cross to die that we might put our faith in Him. I want you to understand the gospel. And if you're in Christ, then the Bible says you're a new creation. That means that we can deal with conflict in a new way. We have the power of the Spirit with us to accomplish this. Time's not going to allow us, but in the middle of this pamphlet that you have, there's something called the slippery slope. Or basically an idea of there are different responses that we'll have to conflict. Some just run away from it and say, I don't want to deal with it. Some run into it with like jackhammer type approaches and just fists going. It's saying neither way is helpful there, but there are some helpful ways. So it's not just saying, well, just just be at peace. Don't we don't ever talk about it. No, there's some healthy ways. Sometimes it is to just overlook something and say it's it's all right. I, I can overlook that. Some driver cut me off, whatever. I, it's it's all right. It's OK. Maybe there's other times where you need to approach that and talk. Those are some different biblical ways, I think, or helpful ways uh, to deal with an offense. Well, back to this this middle page, I, I left off at kind of where it references the Bible verses in there. And I want you to look at this uh, in terms of the opportunities that conflict provides. And because most of us, in fact, probably any of us, do not see conflict as an opportunity. Uh, you know, at the Thanksgiving table, we didn't say we're thankful for conflict. I am grateful for this. That, so, but let me read this. And I think it, it can be helpful in the midst of painful experiences. Uh, it says, we also believe that conflict provides opportunities to glorify God, serve other people, and grow to be like Christ. Conflict is an opportunity. So first opportunity, one, it's to glorify God. Uh, Ken Sandy, in his book on resolving everyday conflict, he says this. He says, it's crucial to realize that you either glorify God or you glorify something or someone else. You always, you're always making something look big. Conflict provides an opportunity to bring glory to God, to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I believe you. I'm going to look for your help here. It's an opportunity. We'll talk a little bit more in the, on this in a bit. Another opportunity, it's listed there, an opportunity to serve others. As you look at the passage we read from Luke 6, some of the first verses, how do we serve others? We, what does it look like? It looks like loving enemies. looks like blessing those who curse you, doing good to those who hate you, praying for those who abuse you. It's, all these are types. How do we, what's the opportunity in a conflict? It's to serve your enemy. Why? Because you have been served by Christ Himself and His mercy. Conflict provides an opportunity to serve. Third opportunity that's listed there is the opportunity to grow to be more Christ-like. It's an opportunity to put off the old man, put on the new, created in Christ Jesus for good works, to be like Christ. Mark 10.45, He didn't come to be Served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom 
for many, many sinners. That's what He did. Conflict provides that opportunity for us to be Christ-like. I hope you see some of these things that instead of looking at conflict as just a bump in the road, something to get through, I wish it was over, that we begin to see and get a vision for this opportunity that's come our way. Okay. Well, I finish here. Uh, It says, uh, therefore, in response to God's love and in reliance on His grace, we commit ourselves to responding to conflict according to the following principles. And I hope this page, it's, it's, it's a commitment of sorts. It's kind of like someone praying this and saying, I want to commit to this way of dealing with conflict. And, and that's what this section is all about. These principles here, they're called the four G's of peacemaking. And uh, we're going to look at those. It's kind of a cheat sheet. When you're in a conflict... What to do when your passions are warring against your soul? What do we do? The first thing is right there. The first G is to glorify God. My response in a situation will either glorify myself or my God. Conflict can bring out the worst of us or it can point both us and the one we're in conflict with to the glory of our great God. So the first G here is to glorify God. Let me read it, just what he says here, and to glorify God. Instead of focusing on your own desires or dwelling on what others may do, we will rejoice in the Lord and bring Him praise by depending on His forgiveness, wisdom, power, and love as we seek to faithfully obey His commands and maintain a loving, merciful, and forgiving attitude. I'd like you to turn to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 7 here. I want you to think of this psalm in terms of how do we glorify God and delighting in our Lord. Psalm 37 says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Ken Sandy points out three ways in which we can glorify God in the midst of conflict. When we glorify God, when we trust God. You can look in Psalm 37 there. The words David uses such as trust or commit or to be still or to wait or to fret not yourself. We bring glory to God when we're in a conflict to say, Lord, I trust you. And Lord, I trust you. You can work through this impossible situation. We also glorify God when we obey God. Jesus says this, John 14, 15. If you love me, And we can even say, if you want to glorify me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We honor God when we do what he says, regardless of how 
hard or impossible it seems, we simply, by faith, we walk by faith and we obey. We love that enemy. We give our tunic when he's already taken our cloak. Sandy says we glorify God when we imitate God. He says this, Whenever we live out the gospel in our lives and mirror Jesus' humility, mercy, forgiveness, and loving correction, we surprise the world and honor the Lord by showing His presence and power in our lives. This is by no means scientifically proven, but I'm going to guess that for the majority, if not all of our conflicts, if we just remembered this first G to glorify God, if we stuck to that fact, the conflict would be resolved much sooner and with less damage. If you remember nothing else and you find yourself in the middle of a conflict and you think of the words, how do I glorify God in this? That's going to, as you say, Lord, I don't know. I'm upset and this is happening. It looks impossible. But Lord, you've told me to glorify you. Lord, how do I help me to glorify you? What a great place to start on our knees praying and asking God for that help. So yes, there's going to be other steps you can take in a conflict and, and they're helpful. But we need to first ask, does what I'm doing here in this conflict glorify God? I think it will temper your response and help you really desire His will and not your own. Well, the next G here is to, to get the log out of your eye. Get the log out of your eye. This comes from Matthew 7, verses 3-5. through 5. I'd invite you just to turn there. I want to see this. The book of Matthew, chapter 7. Really, the similar place. Jesus is... is uh, preaching the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to read uh, Matthew 7. I'll read 1 through 5 here as we think of this getting the log. So we're to glorify God and then get the log out of your own eye in a conflict. Here's what, here's what he says here in Matthew 7. He says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Yikes. Verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Some of you have figured that out. That's why I brought this. It was in our yard uh, this morning. There are shorter logs, but this is a big one, and I think it gets the point across quite well. Kids, you can, you can catch on to this. If this thing is in my eye, and I'm talking to somebody, and I'm pointing out, what's it going to do to them? It's going to hit their head, probably, and knock them over. Imagine even further, imagine if you needed surgery from, uh, and the doctor comes into the surgeon, you know, the operating room with this thing in his eye, and he's... And he's down and he's trying to cut into you and he's, he's fixing just a small problem, but he's got this log sticking out. It's going to hamp. The surgery's not going to be helpful. He's actually going to do a lot more damage. The point is to take this out first. It's not saying don't, don't deal with somebody. Don't talk to them. It's just saying, hey, check your own heart first before we go uh, sawing into other people's lives. Take the sin out of your life. Look at your own 
self first. And then you can begin to help. The, the, the surgeon that's free from that log is now able to do the work of surgery. So let's read this section. Get the log out of your eye. It says here, instead of blaming others for a conflict or resisting uh, correction, we will trust in God's mercy and take responsibility for our own contribution to conflicts. Confessing our sins to those we have wronged. Asking God to help us change any attitudes and habits that lead to conflict. And seeking to repair any harm we have caused. So crucial for us to follow. Again, following God's Word. Get the log out first. Check your own heart. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, Lord. What sin is there in me in this situation? Again, this is part, I think, of just helping. Before we ever come to our brother or sister in a conflict, is to say, Lord, I want your glory. Lord, look in my heart. And then now we're able to go towards somebody. And when we do, it's this next G, is to gently restore. I'll read the section here. It says, instead of pretending that conflict doesn't exist or talking about others behind their backs... We will overlook minor offenses or we will talk personally and graciously with those whose offenses seem too serious to overlook, seeking to restore them rather than condemn them. That's huge. When a conflict with a Christian brother or sister cannot be resolved in private, we will ask others in the body of Christ to help us settle the matter in a biblical manner. I want you to turn, I'm taking one of those references to the book of Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Galatians, this is great help in terms of going towards someone that's offended us or we've offended, going to gently restore someone that's sinned against us. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself. There's the log <laughs> language again. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Restoration, gentle restoration, is no place for jackhammers. And bulldozers. It's more like small chisels. Precise instruments. Again, you you ought to be wary of a doctor that comes in with a huge saw. I guess guess there's certain cases where that's needed. Who's got a big saw and all he's got to do is maybe put just one stint in. And he's got this big old saw. He's going to take precise instruments to do that. It's going to be gentle. He's not going to take all your body apart. He's going to work on that part of it. That's the idea of gently restoring someone is dealing with that. We, and I'm so guilty of this. We, we want to just kick every part, you know, condemn and all these sorts of things. We just need to go and say, can I, can I help you? Can, I, can we look at this part in this section? So, I think those who know themselves and know their own sins, they're going to be able to more, deal more gently with someone else caught in sin. And sometimes that looks like just overlooking it. 
It doesn't mean brushing off. I mean, it really means I'm going to overlook, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to move beyond, and I'm not going to hold this against that person. That's one that can be a way. Sometimes it's the next last G here, to go and be reconciled. Go and be reconciled. I'll read the section here. Instead of accepting premature compromise or allowing relationships to wither, we will actively pursue genuine peace and reconciliation, forgiving others as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us, and seeking just and mutually beneficial solutions to our differences. I think the key word here is, is to really to go, to actively pursue uh, peace and reconciliation. In the Gospel, we understand that God has come. He has sought us out. Sinners, enemies, wayward hearts. He sought us out to be reconciled. If you know someone that has something against you or you've wronged another, we encourage you. Go to them. Seek them out. And be reconciled. And as it talks about here, seek mutually beneficial solutions. may need to be compromised. You may not agree on everything. How can you love your brother or sister in Christ? Well, the problem, as we've read through these, is that conflicts are not always step one, two, three, four. It's just beautiful. You know, you, you come to somebody, well, here's the procedure. We're, we're going to do this and it's all going to be fine. It's going to work out. It's because we're, we ourselves are wrestling in our own flesh. The person we're talking to has a battle in their own flesh. If they're in Christ as well, there's a battle raging on in them. One in Christ, but there's a battle. And so really, ultimately, we rely on God's grace and we wait on Him. Point your attention to the bottom, just the last part down here. The last little paragraph. So helpful as we think about this. It says, By God's grace, we will apply these principles as a matter of stewardship Realizing that conflict is an opportunity, it's not an accident. It's good. And then this sentence. We will remember that success in God's eyes is not a matter of specific results, but of faithful, dependent obedience. And we will pray that our service as peacemakers will bring praise to our Lord and lead others to know His infinite love. So thankful for the pastor mentor I had in Kansas who sat me down. We, we were talking about success in ministry. Mike, success in ministry is faithfulness. Success in a conflict resolution is being faithful to what God has called you in His Word to do. Start with Luke 6. Get that down. That's, that's enough, isn't it? So success really in a dispute resolution, it has far less to do with the other person and so much to do with our own heart. Is our heart, is it our desire to glorify God? Have we considered logs in our eyes? Have we sought gentle restoration or did we immediately get the jackhammer out? Do you understand how great is the love of God for you as a sinner? And then to demonstrate that kind of love towards the other person. So Article 10, it's a crucial part of our covenant as members together. How we live out Article 10, how we reconcile and deal with conflict, it will speak to the glory of God. 
It will bring the great benefit to our lives, peace to our lives as we follow God's Word. But think, think of who else is watching, watching us. It's the kids in here that are able to draw pictures and figure things out, and they're watching each one of us, and they're studying us. And we're affecting the next generation and the generation after them and after them. How we deal with conflict. That conversation we have in the car ride home or in this place that we thought nobody can hear. Sometimes I want a limousine with the, the, the glass door that comes up so they can't hear us talking in the front, Hannah and I in the back. No, that they're hearing and they're listening. What's our heart? They're watching that. And the world around us, including this area of Minnesota, I, they're watching. How do they deal with conflict? Oh, I know they're Christians. He's talked to me about Jesus before. How does he deal with other people in disputes? Will they see a big God in your life whom you delight in so much that you're known for making Him known? It's less about your joy. It's, it's more about uh, joy in the Lord, delighting in Him. So let us be a church that glorifies God in the way we resolve and handle conflict. Let me pray for us. Father, we look to You. None of this is just words on a paper if Your Spirit's not in the heart helping us, Lord. So convict us, Lord, where we need conviction, where we have been off on our own with our own log for so many years. Lord, help us to get the chainsaw out and cut down our own logs. Help us to see Your great glory. Help it to be our heart's desire to obey and honor and trust You with everything in terms of dealing with conflict and disputes. And may we be a church that proclaims to the next generation, yes, we can handle conflict in the Lord by God's grace. May we proclaim to the world there is a great God who works within us, who we want to glorify, who we want to faithfully serve. I pray you'd empower us through that. In Jesus' name.